Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be hosting a book club, and we have one of our listeners in who is going to participate in the book club with us. This is the first time that we're doing something like this, and we're really excited. So today we have Julia from Game of Reading on Instagram with us, and we're super, I'm I'm really excited. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited too. So Julia um, is coming to us from, she is up right outside of Boston. And so we're going to talk and get to know Julia a little bit more. I'm so excited to ask a listener some of the questions that we usually ask audiobook narrators or authors. So it's, it's nice to just to have that conversation with a reader. I asked Julia before the show and she said that she is an eclectic reader. So she's like, she's like me. (laughs) Do you, Julia, before we, before we jump in, do you want to just tell us a little bit about you and, and what you do in Massachusetts? Sure. Um, so I'm 28 years old. I'm married, but no kids. So I have a lot of um, free time to read. My husband works like second shift. So when I get home from work, I'm alone in the house and I do a lot of reading then. Um, I work in Boston. I'm an actuary and insurance company. So I also have a pretty decent commute where I get to read. So um, I do spend a lot of my free time. Gosh, reading, I feel like you're I living really, the dream really right now. I'm so <laughs> long commute, <laughs> time in the evenings. Yes, it's really right. nice. How do you usually read? Are you an e-reader, print, audio? I usually have one of each going at the same time. So it took me a while to be able to read more than one book at a time. But I found that if they're different formats I can and different genres, I can kind of keep them straight in my head. Mm-hmm. See, I liken it to a TV show. You know, so many of us, I think we want to make that distinction with reading, but it's similar. I mean, we carry around so many plot lines and twists from different shows, but we feel like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like people are hesitant to do the same thing with reading when it's it's sort of the same, you know, like you don't watch it's not like you sit and you watch one show and you're just like, "Oh, I can't watch anything else because I might get confused. You know, a lot of us watch several different shows. I just think it's really interesting because it's a consumption of stories. Right. Our brains. That's a great comparison. Our brains are capable of tracking multiple stories at one time. We do it with our real life, right? We always Or with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. We know what's going on in different people's lives. It's like we can only keep track of one person at a time. Right. I'm just like, Gail, I can't this week because someone else's story is in my head. I can't concentrate on yours right now. Exactly. So let's do a little bit more of our general format. I mean, I feel like we have not checked in on what we've been reading in a very long time, just because my reading has slowed to a crawl. And I'm kind of setting myself up because I'm super excited because I finally finished two books. Well, I finished the book club book, but I also finished something else. So we're going to get into what we've been reading um, because we're going to be doing the book club, we won't do any backlist stuff this week. And I don't know, I, I didn't really, this has been a very just crazy week for me. So I have not had a chance to follow up on any industry news. Gail, I don't know if you've heard of anything 
or Julia, if you've heard of anything that's exciting or on your mind this week. If neither of you have, then we can just get right into what we've been reading. I have one thing I can share. Okay. <clears throat> I watched um, a show on Netflix over the last couple of weeks called Unbelievable. Have either of you guys watched Unbelievable yet? Or do you know anything no. about it? Okay. No, but I think Is that I've the Jeffrey Epstein okay. thing? No, it's not. Oh, no, it is, is it the Larry Nasser? No. <laughs> oh my god. It's not. Neither <laughs> no, no, I think that's two. a podcast. Yeah, no. This is a I think it's an eight-part series and it is about the it's about two detectives in Colorado, two women detectives who are solving a serial rapist um investigation. This is a, and it this shocks out, me, Gail. It shocks you what that I watched it? That you're well, yeah, because you're so like, oh, it's scary. I won't read it. I'm well, surprised. I mean, this is it is so it is so good, um, and it's about so these two women who do not work in the same office they come together because they each have a similar fact pattern of a rape that happened in Colorado, and as it turns out, this person who um, has done the two rapes has also done others in other parts of the country. So it's really about, there's a whole lot of things that they cover in this. They talk about just sort of, they get into the rapes from the victim's perspective, but it's also about how rape investigations are very fragmented and how um, jurisdictions don't communicate with each other so that people who perpetrate these crimes in different states um, don't get caught because they don't, the, the multiple police departments don't share data, don't share information. And it's unbelievably well-written and unbelievably well-acted. I mean, I, I, as I was watching it, I just kept commenting to myself, like how great the writing was and how great the acting was. Um, so Tony this is Collette, fiction. It is fiction, but I think it's based on a real story and or based on a real fact pattern. And Tony Collette is one of the two detectives. She's fantastic. But um, I started paying attention to the credits after like episode three because we were <laughs> we were watching it on Netflix and so we kept rolling into the next episode. So I'd sort of watch the credits through. And I found out that um, it was written by Ayelet Waldman and Michael Chabon. And I was like, well, no wonder this is so well-written because it's just- Oh, and they're working on that together. Is, Interesting. They worked on it together. It is like the dialogue is so perfect. Like not a word rang false to me. Like the way the people interacted with each other, the two detectives interacted with each other, just the way they talked, I was like, you it felt like what you were watching was real because it there was nothing to take you out of it to make you think oh right this is hollywood or this is you know a tv production this it felt so unbelievably real and i just was like wow and you've got two novelists at the helm of a of a, a series uh this is you know what can happen and it was just fantastic so i can't recommend this series enough it's it's hard to watch because it's, I mean, the rape scenes are really, really difficult and just the aftermath and the way that the victims are affected for years to come is very hard to watch. But I think it's a really important show and I've been recommending it high and low. So unbelievable on Netflix. Wow. Yeah. I have heard good things about it also. Yeah. If this show does not win like every possible Emmy award, then I'm going to get really irritated. <laughs> it's just like, it just was so good. I also low-key love their relationship. She's the author who got into trouble for saying mm -hmm. that she loved her children more than she, I mean, she loved her husband more than she loved her children, 
mm-hmm. which apparently you should not say, even though that kind of makes sense to me as an adult person that if you love your husband and can, of course, if there's something terrible happening or something that you need to stand up to your, for your children for it's one thing, but you know, this is your life partner. I, yeah. Like you pick your husband. You don't necessarily pick your kids. Yeah. You don't pick your kids and you hope that they're going to (laughs) move away at some point. And it's just really helpful to raising your children if you love the man that you're with. But have um, you read any Michael Chabon? Either of you? No, I feel like he's just too complicated for me. Like I, I read what his books are about and I just get lost in that. And they're kind of, they're a little bit, the descriptions are always a little bit weird. I just, yeah. He yeah, wrote that police, the reaction. Yiddish policeman or something. Yeah, the Yiddish, I'm actually, they're both on my shelf and I haven't read them. The Yiddish Policeman's Union and the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Yeah, see, that title is just, <laughs> and I hear yeah. great things about him. He's, you know, he's supposed to be really wonderful. I I actually interviewed Eilet Wallman. She is a really interesting woman, but I don't know, either I've read one of her books books or one has been, or a few of them have been hanging out on my shelf for a while. So I think, I, I think I've read a couple. I read the, um, the red, did she write the red book? No, no. She wrote Red no. Hook Road. Red Hook Road. Sorry. That's what I was thinking of. Um, which I read that one and I read Love and Other Impossible Pursuits. So I've read those two. Did you like them? Mm-hmm. I did like them. Um, and I and I like her as a columnist. Like I've read uh, just different things that she's written. Sort of that article that you mentioned. I think I liked her reading more. I mean, her her writing more than I liked the stories of the two books that I read. So I sort of felt like this is an author that I feel like I ha- has a lot of potential for me. But I'm not sure that either one of those two books were like terribly um, memorable to me. Right. Uh, one of them actually. One of them has an interesting fact pattern. There's a uh, a couple who gets married and on the way home from their ceremony, they die in a car accident on the way to their reception, which is just a, okay. you know, a terribly sad fact pattern, but kind of an interesting, an interesting so, thing to pursue. Whose point of view is the story told from? I'm sure it was the, I'm sure it was omniscient point of view. I think that what they do is it explores the, their family and the people they're the people in their family who how they react to the deaths afterwards. So it's about like their parents. And then I think like this two siblings um, end up kind of turning to each other for support after it happens. So um, yeah, it's been a long time since I read it. It looks like I read that in 2011 and the other one I read by her was 2010. So it's been quite a while. But if you want to experience their read, their writing, you can watch it. <laughs> you can watch Unbelievable and get them that way too. I will probably check out an episode or two since you give it such high praise. Oh, uh, yeah, I really do. What's everyone been reading? Oh, sure. Um, so I mentioned that I kind of do three books at the same time. So. Um, I just finished, obviously, The Nickel Boys for our discussion, and in 
uh, print. And today I'm going to start The Chestnut Man. And I don't know how to pronounce the author's name. It was a book of the month club pick, I think, in September. Yeah, I remember skipping that because I, I thought it was going to be too scary for What's me. What's it about? Yeah, it's about um, this. Uh, I think it's in Copenhagen and a serial killer is leaving these little chestnut man or chestnut men at the crime scene and then they're trying to solve the the crime. Ooh, what is a chestnut man? Is it like a a figure? It's like two t- yeah, like two chestnuts I think and then like with matchsticks for like the limbs. Oof. See, anything where people are leaving little figurines and stuff, I, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> in our culture, dolls are typically frightening things, dolls and clowns. Yeah. And spilled ice cream. <laughs> right. And ice cream, upside down ice cream cones. <laughs> so sinister. Yeah. Are you reading that for October? Because it's a good, so scary Halloween pick. Yeah. I was trying to get like a, a Halloween book and I saw it everywhere on um bookstagram this month that and the whisper man i feel like it's mm-hmm. all i've been seeing and i'd already read the whisper man so i decided to check out the chestnut man and see how that is the what was the whisper man about it was really it was a little bit of a similar plot line but you would instead of leaving something like after the scene the killer would uh whisper underneath like a child's window and he became like the whisper man and then the child would get killed hmm. <laughs> and they were solving that crime and that was really good it had a good twist at the end but i don't want to give any spoilers away Oof. <laughs> but it was definitely like the murder type if you're not into that so we hear how Gail is you. cringing as she has just, you know, just given us the blow by blow of this rape series. <laughs> the irony. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say All right. I'm logical in my thinking. No, <laughs> neither am I. Okay. So Gail, what um, are you reading? Yeah. So Nicole, did we ever talk about three women after I finished it? I know I, I don't think so. I think that you, you sort of provided some updates while I was reading it, but I don't know if I ever right you had not finished, finished yeah. reading it. Julia, have you read so, Three Women? I did. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah, we've all read it. Oh, double book club um, discussion. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's okay. I finished Three Women. Um, I finished The Dearly Beloved. By Kara Wall, which uh, was a debut novel this year, and um, this was—I read this one for my in real life book club, which we are discussing tomorrow night. And this is a book about two couples who um, end up work uh, getting in, sort of becoming entwined with each other because the two husbands become ministers together at the same church in Greenwich Village in the '60s, and. Um, the two, it's about the two relationships, the two marriages, uh, their relationships with each other as couples, their relationships within the couples, and then also the way the four different people relate to faith and God. And it's, um, you know, I was a little sort of like scared off by this book because I was worried it was going to be about religion, which is not something I was particularly interested in reading about, but it's really not about religion. It's, it's much more about friendship and marriage and faith and sort of individuals, choice to um, believe or not to believe and how that affects 
kind of how they relate to other people. So I would say if you've been thinking about this book, but you're a little nervous about the religious element, it's, it's definitely not strong, but it was a really nice sort of contemplative, quiet book. And, um, I, I liked it a lot. So, um, that is what I've read. Then I read the nickel boys and, um, I am now in that delicious phase of picking my next read. And I feel like I've just, I'm drowning in amazing books. <laughs> They're just all around me, surrounding me physically. So I'm just, today I'll pick one. I'm kind of thinking I might read The Dutch House, which I've been wanting to read for a long time. So that is on the list. Ooh. That looks, I keep seeing that around. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anything so else kind of tickling your fancy or are you, that's a strong lean towards the Ann Patchett? Well, it's a strong lean. Um, I actually started on audio. Um, I'll give you the sun, which is YA that I'm reading for the every day. I write the book reading challenge. This is going to be my book in a movie in book made into a new movie for 2019. So I just started that. Um, I don't know what else is competing. I, Nicole and I had a guest on the show. We haven't aired that show yet, so I won't spoil it yet. But that guest recommended a book to me, which sounded right up my alley, and that just arrived. So I may read that. It's called The Cactus League, um, but it's not. It doesn't come out until like February. Spring, so right? I'm, yeah, I'm kind of. I kind of want to put that off because I try to read books a little closer to when they come out. Because if I write a blog post about them, then it's kind of useless for people if they can't read it. So I don't know, Nicole, there's only like 5,000 other books in the house that I want to read. So something, sometime later today, I'll take out a bunch of them and something will, will sort of hit my, hit my brain at the right time and I'll read it. So I don't know. Dutch house is a strong, is a strong front runner at the moment. I feel like you're just going to go for the Dutch house. It's possible. (laughs) What about you? All right. So I finished the nickel boy. So the last couple of weeks I've been bemoaning the fact that I really just, I don't know, just so many things are going on in life at this one point that I've read one book in September. And I just don't think, I don't know if I, if that's ever happened in my adult life. I don't know, maybe right after the accident, I feel like I was not reading anything because I had no, I had no attention span. Um, so I'm really excited that I finished the Nickel Boys for our book club discussion, I finished the Malcolm, the new Malcolm Gladwell talking to strangers. I have a hundred pages of Patsy left that I am hoping that over the next week I will just, you know, get a couple hours um, and can finish that. So I really like talking to strangers. I'm not sure that he set out, he set out to prove a certain premise. Like he, basically he becomes obsessed with the Sandra Bland Case And Sandra Bland was an African-American woman who was pulled over in Texas for failing to signal. And I think what had happened was the police officer had accelerated on her and she thought she should move over to get out of his way. But because she didn't signal when she did that, he pulled her over and, you know, there their exchange escalated. He ended up arresting her. And then three days later, she died. She hung herself in her jail cell. This was going on at a time when the shootings, the shootings of African-American men by police officers and just contentious, dangerous situations between 
police officers and black citizens were just in the news so much. And she was in the midst of that. So he takes the premise that that particular incident, like he's obsessed with this case because he feels like, because we live in a society where we really don't understand each other. So because we don't understand each other or have the context for some of these interactions that we have, he feels like hers was an interaction that just went wrong. He proceeds to lay out why, you know, how little we understand each other, how human beings think that we can look at each other and tell what's going on and how difficult that is to do. And combine that with the fact that most people tend to believe, you know, you believe what people tell you, you know, like today we have our guest on the show. She says her name is Julia. You know, she's, she, she is a bookstagrammer at Game of Reading. I wouldn't think anything about what she's told me, you know, like that's who she is. So he talks about the intersection of a couple of these ideas that we have about people and how we interact with people and how little we know each other and how it can just make for these massive misunderstandings. And he does that through mentioning several cases that are just interesting in themselves. He talks about um, the Amanda Knox case. He talks about Sylvia Plath and the particular time that she was able that she committed suicide and how that might have been unlikely 10 years 10 years later just because of certain changes that happened. So he mentions all of these cases in his Malcolm Gladwell way where it's just like if we had changed this or that thing or because we make snap judgments or because we think we know things anecdotally when facts are really different that we have these tragedies that happen like these breaches of security and these deadly exchanges between police officers and and citizens and and well you know particularly black citizens he says that he really wants to delve into the, these cases and he talks about so many others that by the time he gets to the Sandra Bland case I I just didn't feel like it was as meaty as the other sections. And I definitely didn't feel like he offered solutions, you know, and I'm big on you know reading books. It was fascinating to read. And not that I expect people to have all the answers, but, but I do want some, but it was still, it was still fascinating. Glad I read it. Definitely think if you like that kind of social science and, looking at the behavior of people that you should definitely check it out. I've been intrigued by that since you told me about it. Yeah. It sounds really interesting. Yeah. I definitely, it's worth a, it's worth a read. Um, he goes into the Larry Nasser trial and just what the parents heard and how they, you know, continued on with, with their lives because not that they didn't, believe their kids so much as they just trusted that a doctor was doing, you know, whatever treatment that he was doing was, he was a doctor. So it was one that, you know, even though it was sexual in nature, that they just looked the other way. And he talks about the heartbreaking fact that a lot of these parents were in the room with their children, like the audacity of this this man to do this while he was, um, you know, he would examine them, examine them with their parents in the room. It's just awful. Yeah. So that's what I read. I highly recommend it. Like I said, he goes into a lot of tangents. I'm not sure 
that he successfully addresses what happened with Sandra Bland, but it was just so many interesting stories in that and just interesting things to think about. All right. So right now we're going to go to the part of the show where we're going to put Julia in the hot seat and Gail is going to ask her some (laughs) questions. We did give her a little bit of warning, so we're not totally ambushing. Yeah. (laughs) Ambushing you. All right. So we have a couple questions that we ask people when they come on the show. And we're going to put you through the same investigation or interrogation, I guess is what I wanted to say. Um, Nicole and I have a term for when you've read an author, all of their books, when you've read them all. We call that being a completist. So are there any authors for whom you are a completist? Yes. Actually, there's a few. I feel like I'm a very loyal reader. Once I find an author that I love, I tend to just plow through their backlist and just read everything by them. Um, But my favorite that I've read all of uh, is Jodi Picot. Oh, nice. Do you have a favorite within Jodi Picot? Um, uh, I really liked 19 Minutes, which was about a school shooting. I feel like all the books I'm mentioning now are tragic books. (laughs) Welcome to the Readerly (laughs) Report. (laughs) Come to the right place. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely a theme here. Um, But I really like that one. I've also really liked Small Great Things. I love that book. A couple years ago came out. It just really like makes you think. And I just love a book that like sticks with you long after. And I feel like a lot of her books do that for me. What's the um, fact pattern of that one? Small Great Things is about a nurse, right? She is working. Is this on your African-American woman? Yes, it was. She's working as a nurse in this hospital. And they, uh, a young couple comes in, but they're white supremacists. And they don't want her treating their child. And then I think they, you know, the child goes into distress and and is about to die. And I think, does she go in, Julia, and treat her? Or she treats the child and then they sue her? Yeah, she treats the child and then they sue. She is just the master of the, the like, the hook. Yeah, I feel yes. like we've had a conversation where you said you don't like Jodi Pico books. Or I you- haven't read any. No, right. it's not. I, it's not that I don't like them. I haven't read them. So, or I, I think that's what I, you I, said. You didn't want to read any. No, I don't. I mean, I don't know why. I, I guess I have some like notion that it's sort of like mass market fiction, and that, like I don't know. I, I don't know why I, I haven't read surprised. them. Surprised. One thing I yeah. will say: I've heard Jodi Pico speak, and uh, one thing that I really do like about her is that she writes, she says that she writes about things that she does not know. Like she is a writer who wants to understand things. And with Small Great Things, it was around race. Her last book that was out is one that goes backwards. And I think it's about abortion rights. A spark of light. spark of light. So her thing is she goes... with things that she doesn't understand or she feels like she makes assumptions about. And she does all of this research on them and she wants to find out what it is that she doesn't know or subjects that she may hold a position on that she wants to give some thought. And then she puts them in into these novels, which make them, I feel like she says, or she feels like they make them accessible for people like her. You know, she like, she lives on long Island 
with her family in a certain type of community. And I think it's part of her way of making sense and being a part of the world and being informed. And she's yeah, great I, on Twitter. I'm, I have, like, I think, feel like I need to read some of her books. So that's kind of why I asked, like, which ones you like the best, because I'm wondering where I should start. Julia, have you any thoughts on that? I really love Small Great Things. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, I think Small Great Things is a really good one to start with. They're one. It's less uh, tragic. Well, in a, it's less murdery. Isn't there one about um, a, a sibling who is pressured to donate an organ to another sibling? Or was born just for yeah. that reason. Yeah. Yeah. My sister's keeper. That's not one of my personal favorites. Okay. All right. Good to know. It was a movie too. And I wasn't a fan of the movie either. Okay. All right. Good to know. I feel like I All also right. read her first book. The Pact. I don't. I don't remember if that was. Oh, the, fir- the Pact. Was that her first one? I'm not sure, but I've read a couple. I don't of remember them. what her first one. Was. Yeah, the Pact was about a couple that makes a suicide pact, mm-hmm. and I think one follows through. With right. It. Oof. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Small great things is less cringy. <laughs> yeah, not, well, I don't, I'm not cringing at the bug. I'm just cringing at like the the out- outcome of that. That sounds really awful. Um, okay, so tell us about a book that everyone other than you has read. Oh, wait, before you do that, what were the other ones that you were completest for? Um, so they're kind of, they're like very popular authors. So is, um, I think it's, is it Elin or Ellen Hildebrand? Ooh, mm-hmm. she has so many books. Uh, so many books, yeah. She's one of the first authors that I started like reading adult books of when I like was at that age I was reading those um so I really liked her and then also um Emily Giffen mm-hmm. although she hasn't she's had a new one last year I think that I read so I've read all of hers um and there's a couple authors right now that I'm reading like their backlist that I want to want to be completists for but I'm not quite there yet okay all right so the next question what's a book that everyone other than you has read this was actually kind of hard because I read so much and I feel like I'm always like picking up the the buzzy books of the time. So um, I was thinking and one of them that kind of stuck out to me now because the sequel just came out was The Handmaid's Tale mm-hmm. by Margaret Atwood. And I started watching the show on Hulu and I'm wondering if I should stop and read the book first or just keep watching the show. But I feel like now that the Testaments has come out, like everyone has read The Handmaid's Tale and is now reading The Testaments. Mm-hmm. I actually want to read The Testaments and I feel like maybe I should go back and read Handmaid's Tale because I, you know, besides the basic awfulness of that plot, I don't really remember it enough. But then I, at the same time, I feel like I've heard people say that you could probably read the, t- you know, some people have read it and they have not read The Handmaid's Tale and they seem to be fine with that. Mm-hmm. So didn't she um, just co-win an award? Was it the what National Book Award? What did she just win? She co-won an award? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they split it. What was it? Sorry for the typing. I'm looking it up. These are the things, Julia, that typically get edited out. 
Gail and Booker I like okay. looking <laughs> yeah. up stuff. She just co- she just shared the 2019 Booker Prize. Oh, with who? Um, she shared it with Bernadine Evaristo. Oh, nice. So it was the first black female winner, Bernadine Evaristo, to share the prize with Margaret Atwood. And it's been a lot, very controversial that they shared the prize because I think they said they would never do that. Right. Um, (laughs) Broke the rules. Yeah. Um, Detractors pointing out that the first black woman ever to win Britain's most prestigious literary award to share share it it and receiving half the money. Mm. You know, if you're going to share an award, like just give them each the full amount. Right. It seems yeah, but if they've lame. never shared the award before, why are, they should not have sh- just pick a winner. Like if you don't right. want the publicity of it once again being so white or whatever it is, like what did this serve to if you're going to share this to make it the first black woman who gets it has to share her prize with a I mean the optics on that are terrible. That's just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've so gotten what, a lot of heat. A lot of backlash for that. So when Julia says that she reads a lot, she is at 110% of her Goodreads goal, which was 250 books. Oh, <laughs> She's read my God. 276. Oh, my God. Yeah. So when I say that I read all the buzzy books, it was really hard for me to think of one that I hadn't When she read. said she read all the buzzy books, she meant that she's read a book a day. <laughs> well the the long commute and the evenings alone so julia is now our new consultant on any show that we do about books that are coming out or roundups (laughs) that we need i'm gonna be like have you read this enough (laughs) that is impressive wow you must be a pretty fast reader too i mean not you have a lot of time but you obviously like your eyes must travel over the page very fast yeah, I am a very fast reader and I've always been like I've been reading a ton since like elementary school. So like I feel like I've just gotten never good stopped at it. reading. So yeah, I've just gotten really good at it and I can just read like pretty quickly. You know, Swapna Krishna used to say that when she was blogging and she, you know, reading so much and then you just get used to reading that quickly. You get better at it. And that is something that is said, that reading is a skill that, you know, if you're doing it a ton, you get better at it. There was a a blog I used to follow in the early, mid-2000s called Reading is My Superpower. Did you ever remember that blog, Nicole? Yep. And she she read so much. And I I always thought about that, like, if I could have a superpower, in addition to traveling through time, yeah, I would really like to be able to read really fast. Because I'm a slow, slow reader, and it's just such a curse. Um, okay, so, Julia, what's a book that everyone other than you has liked, but you did not like? So I kind of have two examples here. Um, the first is a more recent one, which I don't know if everyone has liked it, but I feel like a large majority of people have liked it, and it just wasn't for me. Um, that was Normal People by Sally Rooney. Mm. I can see that. I was sort of like, I know everyone thought it was amazing and I appreciate it. I, it was, I enjoyed it, but I was not like, oh my God. Yeah. It got so much like hype on, um, I think like Ashley Spivey had Mm -hmm. recommended it. And then, um, um, so Ashley Spivey had recommended it and the girls on the bad on paper podcast 
had hyped up. I think it was a book of the month club pick and Grace Atwood had like recommended it for that. So I was really excited for it. And I just didn't connect to any of the characters. Like I didn't, I didn't feel anything for them. I can see that. So it was hard to, to like it. I've had that on my shelf for a long time and I read her first one and that's how I felt about the first one. So I've been like a little oh, leery. Really? Yeah. I also feel yeah, I like still want, is that you still want to read the first one? What conversations is with that friends? conversation with friends? Yeah. Yeah. So Taylor Swift had recommended that and I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. So I really wanted to read that and I think I still might give it a try, but it kind of went down on my TBR when yeah. um, I didn't like normal. I suspect you might feel the same way about it. You felt about normal people just because that's how I felt about it too. So that wouldn't surprise me. It's one of those books that I feel like you have to have very specific knowledge to understand what's going on too between some of the characters or the the dynamics. I think it is because it's Irish. She's an Irish writer. It's and I think it's set in Irish University. And there's I don't there's something about it that's very specific that it's not quite as accessible, even though the themes of heartbreak and power dynamics are. It was interesting, but I get what yeah. you mean about that book. The other one in this category that I thought of um, was, I think it was 20, must have been 2017, the book of the month, um, like book of the year, was All the Ugly and Wonder- Wonderful Things by Bryn Greenwood. Mm. Mm-hmm. I just did not get into that book. It was a weird relationship between a young, like a really young teenager, like 13 or 14, and an older man. It was just... It was very cringy for me, like the whole relationship between them. Right. I don't know if you guys have read that. No, I, I think I started it. it. I think I, I think I had it from the library, and I like start gave it a, a look, and then I ended up returning it. Mm. Yeah, it was not for me. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, our final question. Uh, you seem like you follow mm-hmm. books really well. You read them quickly, but you probably always have your eye on something that's next. If I gave you 25 bucks and sent you into a bookstore, what would you buy? Yeah. So this was actually pretty easy to answer because because I read so much, I don't buy a lot of books. I tend to get them from the library because it just would be way too expensive. And I wouldn't have, (laughs) yeah, and I wouldn't have the space for all of them in my house. Um, So it definitely would pick a new release. And the new release that I'm really looking forward to that I'm on the wait list for at the library, but it's like over six months long is The Giver of Stars by Jojo Moyes. Oh. I really want to read that one. I've read, I don't think I've read all of hers, but I've read a lot of them. And she's such a, and then there was that article about her that was comparing it to, I'm not sure the author, but the book Women of Troublesome Creek. Oh, yes. I saw that Right, that she's been accused of kind of lifting a plot. Yeah, yeah, so now I kind of want to read those two and kind of compare them for myself and make my own opinions. Yeah, that well, book it's is funny that you. The... <laughs> well, yeah, we ran a giveaway for that book. Oh, I'm so sorry you didn't win, but <laughs> yeah, we're just about to announce the winner. But, I was going to say you gave us a nice segue. That's actually the Book Babes NYC pick for next month. So. Uh, Julia, yeah, I'll, that once way. I finish, I can send it to you. Huh? Oh, that would be so awesome. I, and I that. was featured on their website. Oh, wow. On their Instagram. That's exciting. Uh, what, 
What was it? Book babes? Yeah, I was, book babes NYC. I'll have to check it so out. So I was a babe. Um, I talked about the snacks that I like to eat. They made me pick, they wanted me to pick my favorite book and I rebelled and, and, and told them to. <laughs> <laughs> two for the last two years. I was like, well, I can give you one for each year, but just to, to make it one was just too hard. This book made Leapfrog and Patchett. I don't know. You just re-reminded me of it and I, I want to read it. So maybe I'll read that one next. Um, hey, Nicole, let's uh, use this chance to announce the winner because we were given um, a copy of The Giver of Stars to give away as well as one of um, Jojo Moy's backlist, The Peacock Emporium. And we ran a little contest on the Readerly Report Readers Facebook group and on our Instagram. And we have a winner. So our winner is Serena22P, and it says her name is Pam. So Pam, um, DM me your address so that we can send you this book because you've, you've won. Yeah, these books, two books. Two books. Yep. We've gotten through our interrogation of Julia, and we've gotten through what we're reading and now we have actually two books that we can talk about for our book club. Why don't we start with the Nickel Boys? And then at the end, we can do a, a short discussion of three women as well. Okay. So Gail or Julia, we're going to put you on the spot. Why don't you tell us what the Nickel Boys is about? So let's give everyone, before we get into our spoilery discussion, where we are going to discuss everything that happens in the book, including the end, why don't you just tell our listeners what it's about so they can see if it's something that they want to check out before we get into, you know, before we say goodbye to them, Gail will say goodbye to them and then we can get into our discussion. Okay. <laughs> so the nickel boys is by Colson Whitehead and it follows a young black man in the Jim Crow South um, who gets picked up for, for a crime and he gets sent to this reform academy that's supposedly to um, reform the boys and uh, help them get back into society. But behind the scenes, it's not as clean and there's abuse and um, segregation there. And the story follows the protagonist, Elwood Curtis and a friend that he makes at the Nickel Academy. I can't remember his first name. Turner. And it follows them as they're in the Academy and then kind of life after the they leave the school. Right. I hope that wasn't too spoilery. I don't think so. No. No, no. I think that's no, good. No, no. If you want to participate in the discussion – or I guess it's hard to listen with it, but if you want to listen to the discussion <laughs> and hear how, what we all thought of it, then please keep listening. If you do not, then we thank you so much for listening to this episode and hopefully you'll, that piqued your interest enough that you'll um, read the book and then come back and listen to the discussion when you finish. Um, and we will look forward to catching up with you next episode. And if you have read Nickel Boys or you just want to hear the discussion, we're going to start in on, on that next. Why don't we do a round robin of, of initial thoughts about this novel? Okay, I'll kick that off. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I thought the 
I mean, the story is incredibly disturbing and um, riveting. It, I found this book to be highly suspenseful and uh, made me want to keep reading. There's something about Colson Whitehead's style. I, I'm trying to put my finger on it. This is the second of his books I've read. I read Sag Harbor and this one. I did not read The Underground Railroad. But um, there's something about his style that I find really interesting. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure I love it, but I find it it's effective. Um, he's very understated. And, you know, sometimes there are whole like plot things that happen that are incredibly important or incredibly disturbing. And he treats them, he gives them the same kind of narrative weight as he does just uh, things that are not as important or not as momentous. And it's, you have to read, it forces you to read very carefully because it's easy Mm -hmm. to miss things if you don't pay very, very close attention to what he's saying. Um, And I mean, I think sometimes with, especially with this book, you know, things are so awful and disturbing that I I also feel like it's a bit of a coping mechanism to, to almost downplay things that are happening because they're so awful so that you have to, you know, if you gave them the full merit of what was going on, it would, it would be so, it'd be disturbing and maybe almost too disturbing to write. I don't know. So, um, this book is not a long book, but it took me a long time to read because I found I was reading it very slowly to make sure I didn't miss anything. There's also a twist at the end. Since we're in the spoilery discussion, I think we can get into that. There's a twist about the identity of one of the narrators that shifts from who you think it is to who it really is. I'm curious to know if you guys saw that coming, if you knew that was going to happen, or if that was a surprise. Let's um, take that question and hold it until each okay. of us goes yep, through. Let's hold it. Because that is really interesting there. Yeah, and important. But in general, I, I really liked it. Uh, Nicole, I'm very glad you picked this book. And uh, I, I'm, it's Do you like think you would have read stand-up. it? Um, that's a good question. If not for book I club. I didn't love Sag Harbor. And in, and in, in looking back on Sag Harbor, in some ways, I blame it on narration because I read, I listened to it. And I, I think that in retrospect, I didn't love, I don't think the narrator was a great pick for Sag Harbor. And in some, and maybe that made me less excited to read Colson Whitehood. I'm really glad I read this. And um, would I have picked it up? I'm not sure. Like it probably would have sat on my shelf and like, I'm not sure I would have read it. So I'm, I'm really glad that you picked it. As we're discussing this, Julie, I'm going to ask you to go next and I'll go last. But Mm -hmm. uh, let me just, did you guys notice the cover? Mm -hmm. Did you see what happens on the cover with the two boys? The shadows merge into one. Okay. Interesting. Although I didn't, I wouldn't say I um, picked up on that before. I read it like before it got that became relevant to me. Yeah, I didn't notice that. I took the cover off while I was reading it, so now I'm looking at it and now I'm noticing that. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing. It's rare that a book gives away so much on a cover like that. Well, like you said, he I mean I think that what you said is really important about his writing in terms of how spare it can be, how closely you have to pay attention because he there's not a word wasted. He's constantly telling you things. And I would argue that he tells you a lot of things right up front, but we'll get to that. Okay. So Julia. Yeah, I agree with what Gail said. I actually loved the book. I think 
in the beginning, I started reading at like kind of my normal pace, which is, as we like kind of mentioned, slightly fast. And then I definitely found myself having to slow down because it is such a short book, but so much happens in it that even if you just like miss a couple of words, you're right, you can miss like important things. So it took me a little bit longer than normally to read a, I think just over 200 page book, but I really liked it. I really liked the the friendship between the two boys and how they were so different and they had like such different backgrounds, but you know, this, this school, this academy like forced them together and it was really easy to like to root for them even through all of the the tragedy and the just like horrible things that were happening to them. I really liked the the friendship aspect in it, I think. Yeah, I found this novel to be so well done and so touching. Like you said, Gail, he, you just, I mean, you can't fly through this book. Both you and Julia really got that. You cannot fly through this book because he's telling you so much in these sentences. And before I even started reading it, you know, The Nickel Boys is based on a real school. Like these, unfortunately, are based on all two true events that are happening that still happen are happening in many places, you know, the United States, there are many States and you find abuses of these kinds across different States. So I had heard the story. I think it's the Dozier school for boys that was in Tallahassee. And I was reading a little bit about it. Like I had read a couple of articles about it and I had read um, an article that Colson Whitehead, they interviewed him and he was talking about how he got into or became interested in this story. And I had started reading it and it's just like, I don't want to read too much because, you know, I don't like to know a lot about things before I go in because I want to experience for myself and be able to form my own opinion before I interact with other people's opinions. And two, with this, I was just like, well, if I'm going to be reading about, you know, the abuses that go on at the school, I don't know that I want to know too many of the facts. But I had read uh, some of the stuff and I was just so struck by reading the prologue, um, just how well he integrates things that are factual. Like when you listen, when you read the prologue and he's talking about these university students who have discovered this body and how it unfolds in the news or whatever, I had read articles like factual articles with these facts, but the way he is able to transform them in this fiction in, you know, into fiction and to translate this into a story, like you said, Julia, that has such a strong friendship component. And, um, uh, yeah, it was just, it was really touching. Like I was, and just the friendship, I think because of the twist at the end, when you realize what has happened is so, yeah, it just made it that much more like, oh my gosh. To me. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> should we get into the twist? So let's get into the twist. And let's and and I want to read something because I want to ask you. You look at the cover, and this is one of those things, like Gail, to your point, he is so subtle that he is telling you stuff. Like the cover is two boys, two boys standing on the edge of like this red square. They're running, you know, look like they're leaving or, and then their shadows merge into one boy 
But then on page seven, there's this. In New York City, there lived a nickel boy who went by the name of Elwood Curtis. Mm, little clue. So oh, right that. away, it's like, you know, he went by the name. Who says that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't catch that either. Um, There's another clue um, that comes later. When uh, Elwood, as we know him, has gone to see the New York Marathon, and then he runs into somebody. After the marathon's over, he's kind of walking home, and he runs into a guy who was also a nickel boy. And that guy never calls him by a first name. And then at the end, that guy kind of hits him up for a job and asks him for his business card. And it says that he reached into his pocket where it said Elwood. Um, and then the, you know, whatever his title was like pres owner of ACE moving company, he goes, thought better of it and put it back. And at the time I was like, Oh, maybe he just doesn't want to give him his card. Doesn't feel like, you know, being, him, being, being beholden yeah. to him and having to give him a job. But the answer of course, is that that He's guy knew him Elwood. by another name. Right. Right. So the twist, of course, is that that when one of the boys um, leaves the Nickel escape. Academy, he assumes the identity of his friend. And you learn it's because he's kind of honoring his memory because Elwood has been killed also trying to escape. And, like, you know, I made it to the last, like, three pages of this book just hoping against hope that Elwood made it out. And I wanted to believe that was Elwood, but you get this increasing sense of dread as you go through and Elwood kind of being the principled person that he is writes his own death seals, his own fate by trying to expose the injustice of what's going on. And you know that when he does that, it's not going to end well. And you keep hoping, well, maybe good will prevail here and maybe justice will be served and, you know, I, I, but, but Elwood's alive. I'm reading about Elwood. And you start to suspect, at least I did, that, that, that there's something wrong, that that is not the case. And so you get, the, like, Nicole picked up on one of those clues. But I didn't miss, I missed that one. There's the, bus the business card one. But, you know, by the end, it's becoming apparent that it's less and less likely that that's the outcome that has really happened. Well, I read that sentence and then I also just threw out, remember Elwood in the beginning, he has this beating and it's hinted at that his legs or something has happened with his legs. They are not right. And so when we would flip back to the future or I think it's 2014 or different moments, you know, when Elwood is an adult and they don't mention it seems like Elwood as a child would have had a significant limp, very distinct scarring, something that would have impeded him, you know, because even with the moving company, it's like, hmm, really? Uh, is he able to do that? And just throughout, you know, we would see Elwood as an adult. And I was, I would wonder why they aren't addressing the fact that his legs were so badly damaged in that first meeting. So always there was this just like, how is, you know, how is this going to end up? Because it seems like this should have been a big problem for him. And, and even though I was getting the clues, it's just like, he's telling you, but at the same time, there's so much going on. There's so much thing, many things that are awful that 
it did not quite gel. And even the part where you realize that that Elwood didn't make it, even in that sentence, it was like so. I had to read it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. As soon as the, I think it was in three parts, and like part two was when they were at um, the Nickel Academy, and when that ended, and then it jumped to like the future when quote unquote Elwood was out. It was like there's some something happened in there because they just skipped over like such a huge part of the story that I was looking forward like wanted to know how he got out. And at that point I knew something had happened, but I was still kinda like Gil said, like very hopeful that like Elwood had made it. Like you just really, really rooted for him. And even when I knew it wasn't him, I was going back and I was like, but the, and rereading parts to see if it made sense that it wasn't Elwood in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about the very end and, and Turner, we'll call him Turner because that's, he's the original Turner is returning to Tallahassee and he's feeling a lot of dread, not just about returning to the scene of this, you know, horrible experience for him, but he's also, are you, is, is he worried that he's going to be somehow, prosecuted for assuming the identity of a, of a dead person. I wasn't sure what that was about. I wasn't sure if it was that. And maybe it seems like what else could it be? You know, I, I didn't, that wasn't where my mind went. My mind is just going, is he really thinking that he is going to be somehow liable for escaping or did he feel it's almost like, he felt like there was some term that he had to satisfy something that he owed nickel that had not been served. But of course, Gail, what you just said makes much more sense, but it did seem like he was worried about some kind of. Yeah. Is he worried that he's going to be held accountable for writing those letters? Is it all of the above? I don't know. Writing what letters? Writing or, or, or sending, is he going to be accountable for, what Elwood did for exposing the school. Like, is, is it just, but why is it would just that have a, been illegal? No, I don't know. I mean, is he, I don't know. Like, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like what, what is his trepidation other than maybe the, identity what you would theft. expect? Yeah. That's what I thought it was. Cause they were talking about, I think how he like obtained the, the birth certificate. Of oh, Elwood. right. Right. And me, you know, of course I'm just, I mean, there are ramifications for his relationship. Like, do you think that his relationship will survive? Like, what did you think about that? Oh, with his wife, with Millie? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it seemed that she was very understanding. Like, she was was jarred by the fact that the man she was married to is not – was not who he said he was, although it was really in name only. I mean, she – it seemed like when he finally – admitted and revealed what he had experienced and what had happened and in much greater detail than he ever had before. It sounded to me like she had this, you know, visceral reaction to it, but it wasn't anger. I think she felt extreme empathy for him. And it's, I think it said at one point that she was like, okay, like I've been calling my husband by a name that's not his name, but I I didn't get the sense that it was going to threaten their relationship. Like it was just something she needed to sort of process. And was that the first time that we found out his first name also? Because he had said, I think, that only his like mother and grandmother had called him by Jack. I didn't know if there was any like significance to that. <laughs> it was, oh, his mother and his aunt. 
the only ones that called him Jack. I thought I that was I don't think I knew his name was Jack at all. Yeah, not till that last couple pages. Yeah. yeah. Or I just thought that was interesting that he kind of has like still a different identity. Like now he's Jack. He's not like Turner who he was um at the Nickel Academy or Elwood who he was after. Like now he's Jack. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. She says I'll try it on Jack Jack Jack. It sounded yeah. okay to him. More true each time it came out of her mouth. Like, I feel like he's just finally ready to, like, kind of come out of the shadow. And it's funny to use that term, given what's on the cover. Like, he's finally ready to sort of, like, be who he was. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he'll change his name, like, publicly, but at least, like, internally and, you know, to the people who he's close to. Because maybe he's ready to give Elwood the proper... um sort of more public memorial than he got, you know, like he's ready to go kind of go like go back. He's finally like wants to participate in these reunion activities and become part of the group of people who is sort of publicly exposing their connection to nickel. And in that process, he's going to reveal who Elwood was, what Elwood, what happened to him. And like, that's all sort of a process of just coming, bringing, you know, these secrets to the, to the daylight. What did you want for Elwood? What did you think about his character? I mean, I feel like that is always the tragedy with these books because he, Elwood, I mean, everything that he wanted to do was what you would want your kid to do and who you want your child to be. But at the same time, when, you know, when he, when it slips into him becoming a whistleblower or realizing that he has to bring this down and make this sacrifice, I feel like this is what you raise your, this is who you want your child to be. Right. But at the same time, we don't want him to, don't want him to send this letter. And just like, what does that Mm -hmm. say about, especially for African-American boys, what does that say about hope? And what does that say about their future when to do the right thing is dangerous? Right. Like, do you want them to keep their heads down, get through the system, survive whatever, however they can, and then try to fix it later? Which is Turner. When they're in a safer position, right? Or who's who's more skeptical and hardened and not open? Because I feel like... right. Elwood, you know, it's like he, Whitehead makes the point that this is a lesson that Elwood does not learn. And each time when he stands up or there's this hope, it has terrible consequences, you know, mm-hmm. like he ends up hitchhiking because his bike, um, the kids who beat him up, like ruined his bike. So that was how he was going to get to college. Then there's that whole terrible thing that happens in the kitchen when he prevails and he wins, but the encyclopedias are blank, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like there's, he's making this effort and he believes in these noble ideal ideas and the civil war, the civil war, the civil rights movement is, is getting started and he's into the, the principles of, of um, Martin Luther King and you see that he's trying to apply this, you know, loving people who clearly 
don't think you're human, don't respect you at all. We'll do these horrible things. Like he's trying to grapple with these principles and apply them to his life, which of course is commendable, but at the same time, I mean, there isn't yeah. a good, there's no, I don't think there's a good answer. Like there's very, the, the options in every direction are fraught. Yeah. I think what makes Elwood so, I don't like likable and easy to root for is that he never does give up that hope. Like he always keeps trying to do the right thing, even when it continuously burns him and like your heart breaks for him, but he's still even after getting the beating, he's still trying to to send that letter and to get it, um, to get justice for what's happening at the school. And it just it's it's heartbreaking that he never even got to like get out alive. That he mm-hmm. tragically like <laughs> was so close to getting out and then just couldn't couldn't make it all the mm-hmm. way. I felt like one of the parts that broke my heart the most was when El, not Elwood, um, Turner is thinking about his relationship or he's thinking about his last interaction, you know, like Elwood was always trying to stand up and do the right thing. And, you know, trying to believe, trying to believe in the goodness of people or that, you know, people can be something different. Like maybe these people are not always the same. He was always grasping and trying to get to that love and that belief and that understanding. And he says that, you know, he dealt him the same thing that other people did like silent treatment, you know, like, which his grandmother gives him because she wants to protect him, you know, like when he does things and she just won't even speak to him because she, I mean, Martin Luther King, she gives him those albums and she, it's something that she regrets, you know, Hmm. Yeah. It's there's so much wasted potential here. It's just it's so sad. You have this kid who's so smart and principled and curious about the world, and you know it just and hasn't done anything hasn't, wrong. Right. Like, it's so unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, there's a section. I'm trying to see if I can find it where. Whitehead is talking about just institutional racism and um, it's in one of the current sections and he's talking about just like being black and you know what just the, the sort of the daily things oh it's at the very end it's on page 206 oh you're and probably about to read the part that I marked because I believe it's what Millie is thinking because I was just thinking oh I feel Mm-hmm. Same girl, same. <laughs> yep, yep. She says she grew. She lived in New York City in 2014, and then she lists all these things, standing on the corner trying to hail a cab, um, driving through a bad neighborhood, another kid shot by cops, being treated subhuman, and, um, you know, like that, I found that to be incredibly powerful. So you're reading this book that takes place so long ago and, you know, you think to yourself, well, thank God that you know this is not the world we live in today and the school has been closed a long time and blah, blah, blah. But like his point is like, you know what? Like things haven't changed. And um, like I think, you know, that like you look at someone like Elwood and you're just like, what a waste and how sad and you know this this sort of it feels like this sort of like individual story but i think his point is like this story happens over and over again 
from then all the way up till now. Right. Which is why I felt that that was, that was so powerful just because of things that I hear going on with my, with my friends at work. And I don't just, you hear terrible things or things that I experience at work. And when she talks about, there's just stuff that happens that you cannot give too much thought or think about because then I'd be thinking about this all the time. You know, that's going to affect my life. And she's talking about the things that there's just so much stuff that you just let go and don't even talk about because, because you can't, because it, it, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just happens and it's always happening. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really glad you picked this, Nicole. I'm glad I read it and I feel like, yeah, yeah, this will be a, uh, a standout read. Um, also just because I feel like it's a book you just can't put out of your mind easily. I mean, not that you'd want to, but I'm saying like, it will stay with you a long time. Right. Definitely. Agreed. Yeah. All right. So I can't even say that it's on a, um, (laughs) not even on a too much less sobering note. We have three women. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Gail, what were your final thoughts in having read the whole thing? Yeah. Um, I really, really liked three women too. And, um, I felt that three women was, if you take the three women that she talked to, so you take Lena, Maggie and Sloan, and obviously they're very different from each other and the kind of individual like situations they're in are pretty different. But I think that what Tadeo did was amazing. Like the way that she got these women to confide so deeply and honestly in her and expose themselves so thoroughly to what they were thinking and feeling over such a long period of time that it's, I found that what the, the kind of amalgamation of the three, there were so many universal things there that I think a lot of women feel, you know, they may feel different elements of their stories at different times, but like, I found him, I found this just like utterly riveting. And like the fact that it was such an intimate exposure to these women that you could parse out their various like thoughts and emotions and like at various times feel you know, a lot of commonality there. I, I like, I found it w- was very powerful. I really, really liked it. And I think as a narrative exercise, like I, what a feat she accomplished. Like um, I read an interview with her where people asked her, like, how did you, how close did you get to them? Like, were you, you weren't in the room with them while these things were happening, but like, how close were you? And she would say that there was one woman who would kind of go to meet her, her affair partner at like a a river. And she said that after Lena would leave, she would go there and sit in her car and experience the sounds and the temperature and, you know, the, the, the tactile feeling of being in the exact same place that they just were. And I was like, God, what a, what a like dedication to this book. So I really liked it. I know you didn't like it as much as I did, but I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Julia, what do you think of Three Women? I liked it, but I wouldn't say I loved it. I think I gave it a, a solid 
three stars, so I'm glad I read it. But I really liked Maggie's story um, with the the teacher. I thought that was fascinating and crazy that it's a real story and there's so much online that you can look up about it too. Um, And then I found it hard to remember that it was nonfiction because it did read like like fiction. It was because the author was, like you mentioned, Gail, so immersed into these women's lives that it was hard. It was like they were fictional characters. But I didn't find the other two women's stories as compelling as Maggie's. And I almost wish I could just read Maggie's story in more detail on its own. Right. I agree. I feel exactly the same way as you did. I think Maggie was a standout narrative for me. Uh, The other women, she gets into their lives or whatever. I mean, I think that, I think that this book really resonates with a a particular population. Um, I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I'm its market for, you know, besides Maggie's story. I just felt like the others were, I don't know. They were just sort of like women have always been in these roles where they are desperate for male attention. I mean, Lena leaves an unhappy marriage. She, I think a lot of her choices, unfortunately are predicated on the sexual assault that she suffered. Then she's in a stifling relationship with her husband and she's not able to really make at one point, it seems like she separated from him, but then I was kind of confused with whether she had really left or whatever because I felt like some of her movement was just, I wasn't sure what she was hiding from at any particular moment. And then the fact that she was just spending money that she didn't have on hotel rooms for a man who clearly did not appreciate her, or she delved so deeply into this I feel like if if people are reading this and it helps motivate them and and lets them look around at their situation and say, hey, I'm in a terrible relationship and I need to leave, then that's good. And I feel like from some of the articles that I've read about the author or when she's been on podcasts, she said that, and just even one of the people who interviewed her said that it made them think about their relationships. But I just don't get that people would be surprised by these types of relationships because I just feel like they are such a major part of the narrative when, you know, you live in a, in a male dominated patriarchal society. And I think, I guess probably the marketing of it was, you know, these are standout or, you know, a lot about um, women's interior sex lives. And I just didn't feel like that was true or how they felt about sex or desire or whatever. I mean, theirs are just so distorted by trauma. So, okay. So we should wrap this up. Um, so Gail. All right. Well, I'm glad that we got a second book club discussion and two for the price of one. That was fortuitous. We'd all read the same book. Julia, thank you so much for spending Sunday morning with us. Thank you for having me. This was so yeah, much it was fun. Great to have you on, and we will stay in touch with you and and run our books by you, like Nicole said, because most likely you've read whatever it is we are thinking <laughs> about reading. 
<laughs> right. Um, all right, great. Awesome. Well, uh, we have some fun episodes coming up and um, we will be back in touch with our next book club pick and uh, haven't... Which is, we know what it is because you picked it unless you wanted to change it. It was Ask Again Yes. Oh, right. Okay, good. So our November read is Ask Again Yes by Mary Beth Keen, which we will discuss the last week of November. So we'd love to have you join us. And um, we will also be doing some holiday shows coming up and some year-end stuff. So lots of good stuff to, to round out the year. So thanks everyone for listening and until next time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the readerly report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, readerly report readers, where you can talk to other listeners about the reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.